1: We are going to dive in deeper to some of the weird, wacky, wonderful, befuddling, head scratching, and sometimes side splitting. Is that the thing that gets you to crack up? That's the term side splitting analytics and queries and things that we find online when people are attempting to find our website or topics related to our website. We had been doing this for a while called up. I have
0: to clarify something. What? I feel like you misunderstand the way that Google Analytics works.
1: Am I referring to the frequently asked queries and misinterpreting (laughs) them? Is that what's going on?
0: Well, here's the thing. We can see how we show up as a recommended website based on the search query. So people aren't necessarily looking for us, they may come across our website and or our podcast when they search for these things.
1: I see. I had it I incorrect. They, yeah, I, had I think it this incorrect. whole
0: time, all these months that we've been doing the frequently asked queries, you have thought that these people were typing these things in. Oh, well, that's and uncomfortable. For-
1: <laughs> well, that's an uncomfortable realization. That, I'm trying
0: to understand what how you thought Google Analytics worked because, yeah, I'm now I'm like a little interested in, in what you thought exactly people were doing.
1: Well, I thought that people were searching for terminologies. This is how I thought it worked. That people were searching for terms and then our website would come up in the search result related to those terms. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. And that's what I thought. Yes.
0: Okay, but you often phrase it as if people were looking for our site.
1: Oh, directly. I'm sorry. No, the whole time I was under the understanding that people would type in something like, what was it? A, st- a stroller for hedgehogs? There was something about a stroller, a hog stroller, <laughs> pig stroller. We get, we, yeah, and then, oh, this might get uncomfortable comes up. So anyway, any look, if y'all are finding our podcast, there's some weird ass searches. Welcome. Well, no matter how you found us, if it's your first time listening or your 130th, thank you and welcome to This Might Get Uncomfortable, where we uh, clearly get uncomfortable from the get-go. And I feel like us doing a deeper dive, Whitney, into some of these terms, I know we usually just spend about, what, five or ten minutes at the end of episodes, but we've never really dedicated... An entire episode to delving deeper into seeing where these searches take us. Content. Well,
0: I think our very first time that we talked about this, we did do an entire episode on this. So this is kind of like a part two, you might say. But it always kind of goes in different directions, and it's fascinating to me. So the way that I look at these, for anyone who wants to kind of nerd out and better understand what we're talking about here, you can use Google Analytics as a tool, and as we mentioned before. There are some privacy concerns with Google. So if one really great episode to refer to is Paul Jarvis's episode on data privacy, and he actually runs a kind of alternative to Google Analytics called Fathom Analytics. And we are actually affiliates of them, but we don't currently use them yet. We haven't set that up, probably just because of a combination of laziness and overwhelm. (laughs) In other words, it has not been a huge priority because We haven't been that concerned with data privacy in terms of our analytics, but there are a lot of pros and cons. So if you yourself use Google Analytics and you're curious, I would listen to that episode, which we will link to in the show notes at wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you go to the podcast section of our website, there's show notes for every single episode which includes a transcript as well as a resource section. So you can easily find anything we refer to, such as previous episodes and tips and tools and all of that. So we'll link to Paul's episode plus Fathom Analytics. But if you are curious about what I'm looking at right now, I'll tell you a little bit behind the scenes. So if you go into Google Analytics, you can sign up for a free account. And one of uh, Paul's points is like, if it's free to you, you're paying some sort of a price. And I think actually they use this phrase in the Social Dilemma documentary. It's like, if you're not paying for something, then you're the product, basically. And that's part of the concern with using platforms like Google is that they offer a lot of free services in exchange for your information and in exchange for being able to monitor your behavior and learn from you. Which is kind of creepy when you think about it, but we've all kind of gotten used to these things. And one of the things that we can do is actually see some data on the people that are using Google as well. So to us, we're kind of like playing both roles in a weird way. And I think this is an important thing to bring up is that when you're searching on a platform like Google, unless you have like certain settings on, it can track you. It can track what you're searching for. It can track how long you're on websites, what you're clicking on. And a lot of that isn't used. Maliciously, that information is used by people like us to kind of figure out what we can do more of, do less of, what people are interested in. And thus, this episode is born. So, I go into the acquisition section of Google Analytics, and you can go into a category called Search Console. And within that is this page called Queries. And this is where you can see the search queries. And that's why we call our segments that we've been doing for a few months called Frequently Asked Queries. And it's really fascinating because it shows this whole list of uh, search queries within a certain time frame, and you can choose whatever time frame you want. So the time frame we're using is basically the first three weeks of September 2020, and the t- queries that came up in that time that have led to potential impressions of our website, this website which is podcast.elevator.com, and it's super interesting as a website owner, because you can see what people are clicking on, what they're searching for, how you rank in Google. And you can actually be more intentional about the content you're creating. This is often referred to as search engine optimization. So that's a little behind the scenes for anyone who's curious and or anybody else who's a content creator. Google Analytics is pretty cool if you're okay with the data privacy concerns. And if you're not okay with it, check out Fathom Analytics. So I typed in September 2020 up until the date that we're recording this episode. And I'll be sharing some of the interesting queries that have come up. Some of them are very funny. In fact, I think we should just start right off the bat. I, the one that really stood out to me was the query, podcast fart. After that, there was another term shortly afterwards that says episode fart. And these both led to people clicking on our website.
1: I mean, whatever gets people in the door. (laughs) We did an episode recently where I did share one of my favorite fart stories of all time. That was a a recent episode. We'll link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com. Again, our website is W E L L E V A T R.com. So they probably found that episode, Whitney, and hopefully they stayed till the end of that episode to hear that epic fart story.
0: But do you think that they were looking for podcast episodes about farts or were they looking for the sound of someone farting on a podcast?
1: Maybe both. I mean, is are there podcasts dedicated? Like, is farting on microphone kind of in the same category as ASMR? Like, are there people who are into... I mean, people are... No judgment or disrespect. People are into some really fascinating fetishes and interests in the world. And I would assume that farting into a microphone... Actually, you sent me the other day, Whitney, a TikTok of someone who had two Frenchies and someone sent, set up a microphone under one of the Frenchie's butts and was capturing frenchy fart noises so apparently this is a people are into is capturing fart noises
0: oh yeah i mean actually fetishes are are pretty fascinating and you know you go down these rabbit holes on tiktok which is part of the delightfulness of that platform and how currently the reason i've talked about this many times you could just search for the phrase tiktok on our website, and you will find me discussing TikTok quite often on the show if you haven't already become a regular listener. And I've said this before, it's a platform I really enjoy because people tend to be very honest and open. And I learned so much on there about different types of people. And to Jason's point, if you can view it without judgment, you really start to see the world beyond your own personal experiences, where I feel like Facebook, and actually they talked about this in the documentary, The Social Dilemma, which we did a whole episode on recently. If you're interested in listening to us talk about that, we will link to that as well. We're probably going to refer to a lot of episodes in this episode. So we really recommend going to the show notes because you might get a little overwhelmed (laughs) and we don't want you to feel overwhelmed. So if you open up the show notes at wellevator.com, you can easily... Click on uh, past episodes, bookmark them, cue them up if you want to listen to them in the future. And in The Social Dilemma, they talked about how platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and, and actually most social media platforms are designed to kind of put you in almost like a biased bubble where you're only seeing things that you like and often being exposed to people that are similar to you. But I haven't quite found that on TikTok yet. Although this is a tangent, Jason, I meant to bring this up to you and I'll, I'll just say this here is over the last few months, especially since the recent uprising and the Black Lives Matter movement, and gosh, this is bringing up so many things to me. I just saw earlier today the how, I might get this data wrong, but I don't know if you saw this, Jason, how... We've been asking for months. We collectively, people in the Black Lives Matter movement, have been wanting justice for Breonna Taylor. And I saw Elizabeth Gilbert posting on Instagram that there was no charge to the person or people that killed her. Uh, Did you see this?
1: Yeah. and, And I've been kind of like paying attention to the update. I think now that like one of the officers was charged with endangering neighbors I think it's a wanton endangerment charge. But the point is, is that like no officers were charged directly with her death. Like, I don't know what a wanton endangerment charge means. Specifically, I've never heard that. One of the officers, Brett Hankinson, yeah, is charged with three counts of wanton endangerment where it's like apparently endangering the neighbors and manifesting extreme indifference to the value of human life. Anyway, it sounds to me like what everybody wanted, who's emotionally invested in this, which is the officers to be directly charged in her death has not and may not happen. And people are very, very much up in arms about it.
0: It's a frustrating thing to see happen. And there's a lot of injustices that are being brought to our attention these days, and it, it can be really challenging. So a little side note, I think it's worth bringing these things up on the show, even if it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Because we want to continue to be good allies and raise more awareness around this. And I was in a networking group for podcasters yesterday, and I was shocked there was not a single person of color in the groups that I was in. And just for context, I was like part of this online mixer for podcasters to find guests to be on their show. So a lot of our guests come from these networking opportunities. Also, it's an opportunity for us to be in other people's shows. And since June 2020, Jason and I have been really aware of having diversity on our show, not just in terms of race and ethnicity, but in terms of gender and sexuality and religion, perhaps, and and all the different things that make us different. You know, As I've been talking about with TikTok, and what I meant to say before I got off on this tangent, is that it's so easy with us on social media to get caught up in this biased bubble and not see what other people are experiencing and how other people are living. And I don't have anything against, of course, networking and promoting white people, but we certainly have done a lot of that on this show. And I just felt surprised that in this mixer... All the people that were in my health and wellness group and all of the people that were in the self-improvement group, so we kind of broke off in different categories, everybody was white and all but one of them were female. So I was just in this group of white females and I thought, okay, well, I obviously am a white female (laughs) and why are all these other like-minded like podcasters white female and probably around the same age? I just found that so interesting. And it made me feel like it's so incredibly important for us to seek out different types of people. And, uh, and not just in this case, but beyond this, on all of these platforms, when we're consuming content, if we're not careful, we can just end up surrounding ourselves with a lack of diversity. And I think that that really limits the scope of what we see. But as they talk about in the social dilemma documentary, A lot of these platforms are designed to do that, you know? So then I start to track back. I'm like, okay, how did we end up on this mixer? Well, I found this uh, podcasting group on Facebook, right? So maybe Facebook is for whatever reason promoting this to a lot of white people, and maybe they're not promoting it to people of color for, you know, maybe not even purposefully, but as they talk about in the social dilemma, it's a lot of algorithmic factors. And I just think it's fascinating that I keep meeting a lot of white podcasters. And I'm just thinking like, why am I not seeing more people of color or more diversity in general in the podcasting world so far? And I think that's such an important thing for us to notice. And once we become aware of it, to really take action to make a shift, because I certainly don't want to continue that way. I don't really know how I got into the subject matter, Jason. What did this have to do with (laughs) podcast farts?
1: I mean, what does anything have to do with anything? Part of the fun, and I think the uniqueness, if I may, of our podcast is we don't know where it's going to go. So for you, dear listener, if if this is your first ride, Whitney and I, we start with a direction or an aim, but we fill in all of the blanks as we go. This is It's not a fully improvised podcast, but it's damn close. And so, by and large, we just will go through all kinds of portals and rabbit holes and dimensions. And oftentimes, we will diverge completely from what we started with. But most times, we somehow, I would say, bring it back pretty well, Whitney, to maybe some of the original points. But I just want to piggyback on what you're talking about because having lived in a lot of different cities and neighborhoods within cities in my life, I grew up in Detroit, lived in Chicago for three years, lived in New York City, lived in the Bay Area, spent a summer in London. I've been in L.A. for 14 years, and I've been in a lot of neighborhoods in L.A. I've moved a lot. And I've noticed that there's an interesting sort of biological and anthropological phenomena that happens when you have groups of similar people living in an area You know, I think part of it is what we grew up with. You know, we've had many conversations in the podcast about nature versus nurture in terms of our evolution and our growth and development. But it's interesting to me, piggybacking on what you're saying about seeing so many white women in the wellness movement in these podcast groups. And I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus or be disrespectful, but it's like, I get burnt out because it seems like people are talking and having the same opinion on the same things over and over and over again. Like one of the reasons that I'm kind of slowly backing out of engaging with the wellness world to a degree is I'm really bored with the perspectives. They're very boring. There's nothing that interesting or diverse to me by for the most part because it's the same type of people with the same type of opinions just parroting each other. But we ask why that is, you know. And part of it living in these neighborhoods and seeing the similar type of people like Right now, I am, from what I can tell, I haven't knocked on every door. I think I'm the only partially white person. I'm partly Puerto Rican and Spanish, but my neighborhood looks to be pretty much almost 100% Latino and Latina. I've noticed that people seem to listen to the same music, have the same conversations, like culturally exhibit the same kind of things they're interested in. And you can extrapolate that to a lot of different things. Part of it's the cultural conditioning, what we grew up with, what we're surrounded by, but... Biologically, it's the mirror neurons. We hear a lot about mirror neurons and that what we are exposed to, the people we're exposed to, the conversations, the mentalities, the religious beliefs, the political beliefs. And piggying back this to how the algorithms and the AR are designed with social media, if we keep seeing the same voices, the same faces, the same people saying the same things over and over and over again, not only does that become potentially reinforced in us psychologically and in our neurons because of the mirror neuron effect. But if I may say, it's dreadfully fucking boring. Like, I'm bored with having the same kind of conversations with people online over and over and over again. Like, I'm really craving, to your point, and the reason I'm saying all this, is different perspectives, even if I disagree with them, right? Like, even if I'm like, whoa, why am I having a reaction to what this person believes? But my reactivity or my response to those things right now is far more interesting than having people that look and act like me parroting the same shit back to me over and over again. Does that make sense? Do you feel like that at all?
0: I do. And I I actually notice it more within myself. I'll find myself feeling unsure about what to post on social media because I don't want to add to the noise. Especially as I've been developing my newer social media accounts. I've been using the name Eco Vegan Gal on social media since like 2008, I think, 2009. So it's been over 10 years and I really want to move away from that. So I created some new accounts under my name, which is Whitney, although I had to shorten it because of the character limits for social media. So my new accounts are WIT, W-H-I-T, Lauritsen, And today I was kind of announcing that on Instagram for the first time. It finally felt like, all right, I'll just mention this. You know, (laughs) I'll just put slightly put it out. I don't really like announcement posts in general. I feel like a lot of them are just people trying to get attention. (laughs) And so I'll catch myself like, am I just trying to get attention here? Like, does this feel authentic? Does this feel helpful to other people? And that's really what it comes down to, Jason. I feel like. So much of social media has become very cliche, and maybe that's just because we pay so close attention to it. It feels cliche to us because we're immersed in it. We see so much of it, we see so much of these people. But I don't know how cliche it is to, for lack of a better term, like the average person on social, if, if maybe they're not as exposed to as many wellness, self-help, you know, personal development type people. I don't know the answer to that, and that what's tough is when you're in something trying to look outside of yourself, whether you're identifying as a certain type of person. For me, as a straight white woman, or um, what's the different word for straight, Jason?
1: Oh, is it like cisgendered?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For me, being a cisgendered white woman, right? That's the right term. Correct. Yes. <laughs> thank you i'm i'm still actually finding my comfort with that and i identify as she or her i find that interesting too when people put that in quotations like i don't feel the urge to tell people how to refer to me as but i feel like we're going into this time where it helps to clarify and not make assumptions which i think is kind of neat but anyways you know for me being exposed to a lot of other white wellness women I do start to see a lot of these cliches that you're mentioning and you feel bored of, Jason. And and I find that really constraining because I don't want to add to the noise. I want to do things in a way that feels authentic to me. But what feels so tricky is having spent the past five to 10 years trying to fit in versus trying to be unique. Because I think a lot of us are conditioned to model ourselves off others. And gosh, this episode went in a direction we certainly didn't intend, but we'll just run with it. And who knows, we may never get back to the queries. We'll see. <laughs> and we're grateful for you, the listener, for um, jumping on this roller coaster, this ride with us today and going in a direction that none of us foresee. But but that certainly was uh, is just kind of the way that we roll, pun intended, because uh, I said it was a roller coaster. Anyways, Yeah, it's interesting. I I watched... Did you finish watching the Paris Hilton documentary, Jason?
1: No, I couldn't stomach it. Really? No. What do you mean? I don't give a shit. I just don't give a shit. Like, There's a point where I start to see just how... It's not about Paris Hilton. It's about... I don't need to see any more examples of how Our not just American society, society, definitely American society, but I would say any modern global society, you could look at celebrities in South Korea, celebrities in Italy, it's everywhere, but particularly magnified, I guess, here in America for decades now. And I guess Paris Hilton was maybe credited with the first person for being famous for nothing. You know, they made fun of it in the beginning of this documentary, but it's like she wasn't famous because she was talented or made any kind of dynamic or innovative creative contribution to the world, or anything that would like, maybe typically in generations past be like, this person is famous and and rich and influential because they've done something innovative and and mind-blowing and new. Like Since her, we just have a never-ending rash of influencers and reality celebrities that are famous for no other reason other than we've given them attention, right? So to me, it was like, I started watching it. I'm like, I don't want to watch this. I don't need need to know any more about this woman's life. I already have enough of a disdain for the way that our fame and celebrity machine works in America. It's gross. (laughs) It's just gross. So I stopped watching because I'm like, why do I need to watch this? I already have a very definite opinion of how this machine works. And she's probably the most modern example of, we're going to take a person who is a rich heiress to a fortune, again, who... Has not necessarily contributed anything of great cultural value and make her even more famous. Like, why? Why do we do this? We're obsessed with fame and influence in this world. And I don't understand why, why we feel the need to deify other human beings. Like, not just Paris Hilton, again, I think celebrity in general. Another tangent, Whitney. It's fascinating to me how people deify, like, they almost make other humans godlike. And, you know, I had a conversation years ago with my dear friend Ron, who was one of my original vocal coaches. And I think it was, when I got my first celebrity chefing client and I was really nervous about it, you know, I was like, oh God, I got to impress them. And it's my first celebrity and I'm going to meet all these people, whatever. And he's like, Jason, they're just a working actor. And it gave me a moment of reflection of like, get out of your head of like deifying and making this person like a God. They're just a working actor. And he wasn't saying that to diminish them. He was saying it to break me out of my like, you know, this bizarre way that we put people on a pedestal. Right. So my long answer is I didn't want to watch it because I'm like, I don't care about Paris Hilton. I don't care about her story. And for the most part, celebrity and influencer culture, Whitney, I'm just like, I'm at the end of my rope with it all. I really am. I think it's so fucking stupid.
0: Well, I actually encourage you to finish watching it because the documentary answers a lot of the questions that you're bringing up or, or, Maybe not answers, but uh, addresses is a better term. And the ending is completely different than the beginning. I don't think they did the best job in terms of keeping... It felt at times a little all over the place, but they tried their hardest, the filmmakers, that is, to tease the ending towards the beginning of the documentary. They bring it up a little lightly. But it was pretty surprising how it ends in a lot of different ways that I wouldn't want to spoil for you or the listener who hasn't watched it yet. And hmm, how do I address some of this without (laughs) spoiling anything? I mean, I really actually, it was major food for thought for me. I've been reflecting on it for days since I saw it, very similarly to how I did with The Social Dilemma. And I was glad that I watched the two of them around the same time because they touch upon this idea of how we construct ourselves to be a certain way in order to get some needs met. And that's a huge thing with Paris Hilton and uncovering who she is and why does she do what she does and why does she create this character, which I actually was surprised to find out that that's not really who she is. And she really gets deep into where this character came about and how the media has shaped her. And I was just very fascinated by it. I was never that into Paris Hilton. My sister was though. And I think this is part of the reason I watched it is because my sister really looked up to Paris Hilton and wanted to be here. I mean, she would buy anything that she could that either was exactly what Paris Hilton had or look just like her. She would style her hair and her clothes like Paris Hilton. She was so interested in her. And I think that had a ripple effect on my sister's life and the way my sister uses social media. And I think a lot of us are influenced by people like that. I'm fascinated by the psychology of it all.
1: Well, without doing spoiler alerts, if you can, I am curious now that you've had days to digest Social Dilemma, which, by the way, we've done an entire, God, I think it's an over two-hour episode just on Social Dilemma. For you, dear listener, if you want to dive into our thoughts and musings and sort of a psychological dissection of how we interpreted that, that documentary. But having a few days, Whitney, I guess, to digest both of them, you know, piggybacking the Paris Hilton documentary on the back end of Social Dilemma, you watched that one first, Like, can you give me any high-level things that you've digested and interpreted post-watching both of them?
0: I think it just is causing me to step back and, and examine my motivations and noticing how other people operate. I think I've been working on for a while now, not judging other people for their behavior. And the more information, I think this is one of the reasons I really love psychology, is that if I can understand why somebody does what they do, I'm a lot less judgmental. And I'm a big why person. We've talked about this before. There's a wonderful assessment you can do called the four tendencies, and mine is the questioner. And this leads me to constantly ask why. I see that as as a strength and sometimes a weakness. But I notice that in my perception of the world, whenever I understand why something's happening, why somebody is doing something, why I want what I want, et cetera, it makes it easier for me to create a either course of action or just to understand something. So I love seeing documentaries like these two we mentioned because... It helps me understand other people's behavior and have compassion for it and be less judgmental of it because I think it really is easy to see someone like Paris Hilton and have all these judgments. But this documentary was such a gift because she basically explained why she does everything that she does, and I love that. (laughs) That's it's like, oh, okay, got it. Now I view Paris Hilton completely differently. And then I can view anybody else, like even my sister, like, okay, maybe that helps me better understand my sister because why was she drawn to Paris Hilton and what do they potentially have in common or how has my sister shaped who she is today based on somebody like that that influenced her? I just find that really, really interesting and, and the social dilemma understanding how these platforms work is really helpful as well. And that's why I wanted to start off this episode talking about Google Analytics and being transparent. Like, How do we get the information that we get on people? And what is the potential downside to using a free platform? I think the more that we can understand those things, the easier it is to make decisions. And lastly, I would say that since I started talking to other people, either directly one-on-one in conversations or just in group conversations online. I'm finding more and more people are wanting to get off social media. In fact, today, I got together with someone I hadn't seen in a while. And he said that he's actually, after he saw that movie, put a limit on his phone to use social media for only 30 minutes a day and he's already considering doing even less than that. And this is somebody who was pretty much addicted to his phone, just on it constantly and and knew it, but yet allowed himself to indulge in being on his phone, whether it was social media or playing video games or whatever it was. And I think the more that we can either become aware about this selves for our You know, just that awareness in general, as we talked about in in our social dilemma episode. But then maybe we might choose to do something like putting limits on it. And I know, Jason, you talked about getting a different phone, for example. And I, long story short, ever since that documentary came out, I've been hearing more people discuss these things. And it really makes me wonder what is social media going to look like in a few weeks? Not to say that radical change is going to happen that quickly. But I think enough of a shift is starting to happen that we will notice it within the next month or so. And especially as we get closer to the holidays, and especially as we get towards the end of the year and reflecting on what this year has been like, we've got a lot of changes ahead of us. We have this huge election, which is coming up incredibly soon for us in the United States, but certainly has a ripple effect across the whole world. We have COVID that we're still dealing with, and and there's just a lot happening that I think has given us opportunities to have these conversations and reflect more on our behavior and what we wanna do about it.
1: Hmm. It is an interesting thing to think about what social media is going to look like moving forward. What came to my mind, Whitney, was I think late last year, if I'm not mistaken, Instagram was talking about taking away the likes, the number of likes on photos and they never did it. Which is like what happened to that? Cuz I remember that was getting a ton of press. Mmm maybe in the fall end of 2019. Everyone was like, "Whoa, what's going to happen if Instagram takes away the likes?" And then it kind of died in the water. I remember there was a potential date when it was going to take effect and then it never happened. So it's one of these things where again it gets discussed by digital ethicists and some of the guests that were in this documentary the social dilemma that there are people within these companies that want to do better that want to create more ethical products and products that honor the humanity of its subscribers or users but you know when you have a business model that is generating billions and billions of dollars of revenue what incentive does a corporation have to stop doing what they're doing you know if you have this massive megalithic corporation like Facebook for example who also owns Instagram or Google who also owns YouTube the, you know what ethical incentive do they have from the top down when you know there are literally hundreds of billions of dollars flowing and they're like well why stop you know that was one of the positions they posited in the movie was when you have a publicly traded company you have the concerns of shareholder value and stock price you have a board of directors who wants the corporation to succeed, you you have these internal and external pressures kind of coalescing to create maybe a zero-sum game. And I bring up that Instagram example because I personally was all about the idea of taking likes away and taking the numbers out of it. Or there was even a potential idea that they were going to maybe even take away the follower counts. And I thought, wow, how different would it be if people were posting almost like the early days, like you were talking about in a previous episode, like how fun and open and playful it was. We weren't doing it for business reasons. We weren't weren't doing it to pad our numbers, to try and get business deals or book deals or record deals or any of the stuff that people do it for now. But if we were to take away follower counts and we were to take away the actual numerical metrics of it, I wonder how people would respond and engage with these platforms differently if we just took all those metrics away. So the question is like, you know, yeah, I mean, in terms of ethics, you know, how do we create a bridge, right? Because I, for one, don't just want to stop with caring for my own engagement, whether that's getting off social media completely or getting a different phone or muting all of my accounts, you know, all of these things I'm considering or some combination of them. But what I feel kind of motivated to do is add to a conversation of how do we create influence on these corporations to change things? You know, it's almost like a mirror, I suppose, of the vegan movement, where it's like we can change our eating habits and our consumption habits on an individual level or maybe on the level of our families, but to go beyond that to write companies or support politicians that, you know, influence reform in those industries. Like my whole thing with the digital economy right now is to move not only just beyond my usership and my consumption of it, but are there some things that I could do beyond that You know, that can have even a broader influence? I don't know what the answer is to that yet. I feel like our mutual friend, Adam, I've been having ongoing conversations with him. And maybe there's, I don't know, maybe there's a branch of the wellness movement, this whole digital wellness or digital detox or dopamine fasting, all of which we've talked about on the show. Maybe that's going to become like a new major branch of the wellness industry. I don't know. It's certainly fascinating just to kind of like see where it's all going to go. I'm all for having more of these conversations and for all of us collectively to see, I don't know, how we can influence the whole system to change. Because in my opinion, the system's got to change and it's got to swing back toward a more humanistic and ethical approach. What that's going to be, don't know. But maybe that's a good pivot point to go back into uh, some of our FAQs here as we're 42 minutes into the episode. (laughs)
0: Well, I will say I've I've continued going down the rabbit hole of the queries and there are a surprising number of queries related to farts. So, um, I mean, I feel grateful for the first couple queries we mentioned. Who knew that a fart query was going to turn into a deep social media discussion? I certainly did not anticipate that. But a couple others that stood out to me, one was this phrase, dare anxiety. And I'm curious for you, Jason, what you think that means. Like, was that a misspelling? Like, does someone mean to write, dear anxiety? Or this is what I thought that meant. It's like when you are playing truth or dare and you get anxiety before having to do a dare, or you're getting anxious before you even hear what the dare is. So I'm curious, Jason. <laughs> What was your relationship with the game Truth or Dare? And do you remember any extreme truths or dares that you or other people had to answer or do?
1: I played Truth or Dare probably less than 10 or 15 times. I don't even know. It's been a while. High school was a long time ago. There was never anything totally crazy. I mean, there was like taking your clothes off and running in the street. There was definitely like makeouts and the grabbing of boobs. I mean, there was nothing like crazy that ever happened. I don't know. I, I feel like my teenage Truth or Dare games were pretty tame. In compa- I don't know. In comparison to what? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't even had a conversation about Truth or Dare in like I don't know, two decades. I don't even know. But nothing ever like super wild happened for me.
0: Yeah, it's funny because I actually have a sense of anxiety just thinking about Truth or Dare, but it was simultaneously that feeling of excitement. That game like brings up good memories as well as as anxious memories, if that makes sense. And I don't really have any major that come to mind. I am somebody that often enjoys sitting back and watching instead of participating. <laughs> so if I could simply just watch people play Truth or Dare, I think I'd be a lot happier than having to actually participate in it. I guess like the truth always seems like it'd be a little bit easier, but what if somebody asks you something really embarrassing, which they tend to want to do because it's like, well, if you don't choose the dare, we better ask you a really embarrassing question or something that we know that you don't want to answer. And then when I was playing Truth or Dare, there was also like the Double Dare, which I don't remember exactly what that entailed. <laughs> but there was board games. I think there was that Nickelodeon show, Double Dare or something. And It's just something kind of interesting about seeing people do uncomfortable things. So it definitely ties into the topic of discomfort because opting into that game requires some bravery and it requires you to get uncomfortable. I think often the dares would seem really extreme and would involve like nudity or not like in a pornographic way, but just like, ooh, like you're going to have to moon the room or something you know, like stupid types of things like that of, you know, streaking or something like that, which were just more amusing than anything else. Uh, It was like pushing boundaries, I think, and definitely enjoyed when I was younger doing things like seeing how far you could get somebody to do something. But I also think it's interesting, Jason, that you equate that with high school, but who's to say that truth or dare has to be limited to an age? Why couldn't you play it now? And what would truth or dare look like (laughs) for you right now? Like if you and your friends were going to play truth or dare.
1: I feel like hot sauce would be involved in some capacity. Like, you know what? (laughs) Here's a guilty pleasure of mine. I don't watch these often, but when I do, I go way down the rabbit hole of people eating super hot peppers and hot sauce. Like on YouTube and Instagram, there are videos of people that will eat like ghost peppers, Trinidad scorpion peppers. And I think the hottest pepper now is like a Carolina Reaper. I think that's the world record holder. And some of these videos are absolutely hilarious of people like, why do you find so much pleasure in in watching somebody in pain? Because they're doing it to themselves. Because they know what's going to happen and they do it anyway. And the ego of some of these people and then their reaction is, it's just hilarious to me. So I feel like an adult version of Truth or Dare some of the dares for me would definitely involve like ridiculously hot peppers and making people eat them. I feel like that would would definitely be part of it for me. And maybe that's revealing like a devious trickster part of myself, but I don't know for some reason, hot sauce and hot peppers just is the first thing that came to mind, Whitney.
0: Well, it is interesting when I looked up dare anxiety, I realized it is actually a technique. Dare itself is a way to end anxiety and stop panic attacks. And it's a, a wellness technique that you can use, and now that I'm reading about that, it does sound familiar. So, if you were looking for that, I hope you found it. I'm sure you did, because if you type in "dare anxiety," we uh, showed up pretty far into the <laughs> recommended results that you can get on Google. So, uh, it's it's just interesting. The more you learn, another one. I'm curious if you know this off the top of your head, Jason. Can cats eat beyond meat?
1: No idea. No clue. Um, hmm. I mean, I assume that they could. I don't think that one would want to exclusively have a cat be eating a plant protein. You know, one of the things that I made sure that I did, you probably remember this, Whitney, before I adopted my OG cats, my oldest cats, Lynx and Claudia, who are now, they turned six in the springtime. I actually consulted with multiple vegan veterinarians, meaning these were veterinarians who uh, their personal ethics happen to be vegan. I also consulted with Jackson Galaxy when I first met him, which was – shout out to Jackson Galaxy. Loved my cat from hell. Really cool guy. Great musician too. And also vegan, Jackson Galaxy. So, I consulted with our friend, Armighty May. I consulted with Jackson Galaxy. There were two other vegan veterinarians. And I said, hey, I'm thinking about adopting cats. I'm reticent to feed them a flesh diet. What do you think? And every single one were like, "Technically you could feed your cat a vegan diet, but the alkalinity of the food is going to tremendously stress their endocrine and their urinary system to the point where you will have to add a basically an acid booster. They all said you have to add like an acid supplement into their food and you'd have to get their kidneys checked quarterly." I'm like, "I'm not going to do that. You know, they're biologically designed to eat animal products, so One thing people may not know about me, and I I get questions from time to time on social media about this, I personally follow a vegan lifestyle and have done so for, what, 22 years now. My cats are not vegan. They will eat some food. My cat Julius and Lynx, they love greens, so they do eat some plant food, but not exclusively, and nor do I think it is advisable based on the information I've obtained. So that's a long way of saying... Yeah, your cat could probably eat Beyond Meat, but I wouldn't necessarily like give it to them every day as a food source.
0: That makes sense. I wonder if somebody is looking for it to be a food source or like, whoops, I gave my cat beyond meat. Is that okay? <laughs> okay, this one's kind of interesting and also random. I'm just pulling out some of these queries and just to see how Jason answers them. <laughs> Do hotels charge if kid pees bed? <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. I don't know. Now I need to search for it. How the hell do I know? This is bizarre. Why would we pop up in a search query for that? Why, Whitney?
0: I don't know. Perhaps one of our guests talked about peeing the bed. We certainly had a number of parents on the show. It's interesting to see inside the mind of Google because it makes you wonder, like, How many results you get when you're searching for something, and how many of them have absolutely nothing to do with what you're searching for, (laughs) and how frustrating that could be. We also get a lot of really extreme queries that I will never read out loud, not because I'm a prude or anything. I actually think it'd be really fun to read some of these, but they are very X rated queries I will keep to myself for being considerate of other people's boundaries without knowing what their boundaries might be. But uh, (laughs) I could certainly create a whole collection of really extreme queries that people type in. And some of them are, most of them are sexual that I'm referring to, but some of them are also potentially, um, like one is kind of suicidal sounding and it just makes me Feel compassionate for somebody like wondering, are they actually considering suicide, or are they just searching for things out of curiosity so it is really a fascinating look into the the psyche of uh, the average person online you know
1: so I found some interesting stuff that uh, apparently about peeing the bed that if you happen to stain the sheets or stain the mattress and it looks like it is quote normal. Behavior that hotels won't charge you, but anything that they deem potentially abnormal, I don't know what that means, they have the right to charge you. So I suppose peeing a bed, it's a bit hard to say whether that covers the normal activity or the abnormal activity category for a hotel chain, but it led me down a rabbit hole of looking at what people find in hotel rooms and what you find using a black light. And it is not surprising, but also pretty disgusting. So not to dissuade people from staying in hotels, but all kinds of, boy, oh boy, all kinds of fluids and genetically related things people are finding in hotel rooms. pretty, if you go down the rabbit hole, it's pretty disgusting.
0: Another reason for, or another benefit, I should say, to sleeping in your car like I do (laughs) currently. Not full time. I mean, while I'm traveling. In fact, I, we've done a number of episodes on my experiences getting ready for a cross country road trip and camping. And we did summary episodes. And I'm sure we're going to address it again because at some point I will be driving back to Los Angeles from the East Coast. And I'm sure I'll have many more stories to share. But I already do have a few as a side note. I cannot say enough about how awesome it is to have. The ability to stay in my car, which gave me the sense of simultaneous safety and vulnerability, I would say. And it's been a really interesting opportunity for me to examine myself because I feel safe in the car in terms of what you're speaking of, Jason. You know, like I get full control of the mattress I'm sleeping on, I know where it's been. It was brand new when I got it, it's the test mat for anybody curious. And I'll link to it. We actually have a discount code for them for twenty dollars off, and I cannot say enough about Tesmat. It is one of the coolest things that I own right now, and uh, they gave it to me, which was such an incredible gift. very generous of them, and they're actually very affordable. I think they're around two hundred and fifty dollars and then if you want the privacy screen, which I think is a really important element of this, I think all in all it comes to three hundred or three fifty and If you have a Tesla, you can pick this mattress. And the privacy screen based on the model that you own and set it up. And if you don't have a Tesla or you're not planning on getting one, you can look into different options for your car. There's actually a lot of mattresses that you can use. Some go into the back seat of the car and they kind of blow up so you can sleep across the whole back seat and make it really comfortable. There's all sorts of neat ways to sleep in your car, whether you're doing it like I am as a temporary way to avoid staying in hotels. Or maybe you travel a lot and you need an alternative to hotels to save money. Or maybe you, you are living in your car. You know, Whatever the reason is, there are so many creative ways to making that happen. And I'm just bringing that up because having a really great mattress makes a world of a difference. And a lot of people actually are starting to live in vans and buses and they're converting them. And through this experience, I've started to think about that myself. I really had this dream for almost 10 years now of traveling around and living in some sort of non permanent way. You know, at first, I remember in like 2010, no, I should say 2011 or 12, I met this couple that. Just were always on the road and they would live in different Airbnbs and VRBOs and all those different options. And I just thought it was so cool. They just like do a long term rental and they'd stay for however long they could. And then when they had to leave, they would pack up the car and move to another place. And this was also back when working remotely was much rarer than it is now because of COVID. Working remotely is accessible to many of us. And then after or around that same time, I got really into to trailers, specifically the teardrop trailer. And I had this dream of driving around in a car with a teardrop trailer attached to them. They're really cute if you've never seen them before. I saw like this one image in Sunset Magazine, and I'll never forget it. And it was just like this little trailer in a campground. And it was this beautiful photo. If I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes at wellevator.com for you to see. And it just had this great impression of me. I'm like, wow. And the teardrop trailer was really well designed and it had this stove, I think, in it. And it was just so cute. And what's interesting is I kind of let go of that interest. I would definitely camp in a teardrop trailer would if the opportunity presented itself, but I'm not kind of seeking it out as I thought I would. But my car is actually. Maybe not the same dimensions, but the teardrop trailer is a really small thing that's the whole point of it and I feel like I've kind of fulfilled that destiny of of camping in my Tesla because it's pretty small, but it's also for what it is like it's as roomy as you need it to be and I just camped in it last night in my friend's driveway as an alternative to sleeping in her home because I was trying to reduce both of our exposures to one another and you know, when you're in somebody's home and touching all the different parts of their living space and just kind of breathing the same air on that regular basis, not to be paranoid, but just trying to be really mindful. And then you think of a hotel as Jason's bringing up and all the different surfaces that you assume get cleaned, but maybe never do. And I think coming back to a part of our discussion about making assumptions, it's really important for us to have awareness about how clean our spaces are. (laughs) That also reminds me of a TikTok I saw today. A woman that used to work at a very popular chain of fitness studios are considered very elite because they're very expensive. She said it was eye-opening for her because she could not believe the type of behavior coming from seemingly very poised women with good sense of etiquette and lots of money that it didn't matter how much money somebody had or how like posh they seemed, they would still do some really crazy things that led her to realize how unhygienic most people are. And she said, it's an incredibly important lesson for us right now because if you're somebody that doesn't believe in wearing masks or you are kind of reckless when it comes to not washing your hands or sanitizing yourself in whatever way, maybe you should rethink it. Because despite COVID aside, when you're in a public space with other people, you have no idea what they're doing there or where they've been.
1: Yeah, this is one of those things where having traveled a lot for business and speaking appearances and whatnot, you get to see a lot of people's behavior in in like, public restrooms as an example. And um, yeah, If I had a dollar for every time I saw a guy go to the bathroom in a public restroom, be that one or two, and not wash his hands and just walk right out of the restroom. I've had debates with like guy friends of like, yeah, if you pee and like you're just touching your own penis, you don't touch any like, why would should you wash your hands? I don't know. Maybe because you're spreading your dick germs over everything else you touch after that. And do people want your dick germs? Probably not if they had a a choice. Like, it's just, you know. But
0: what about like the surfaces you touch before touching your dick? Yes, (laughs)
1: exactly. Like, so I've had guys.
0: What are you putting on your penis?
1: Yes, I've had guys push back on me. I'm like, what fucking reality, dude, are you living in? Wash your fucking hands. So if anything, I hope that one of the silver linings in COVID is that like people, yes, wash your hands more, not to the point of being a germaphobe, right? Not being like, I'm going to remove any kind of, innate immune response from my body or my inherent microbiome that's on my skin. But yeah, if you go to a public restroom, wash your goddamn hands afterward, please.
0: Well, that leads me to a curiosity, Jason, because this woman I referred to on TikTok taught me a new phrase. And I'm curious if you've ever heard it before. It's called a waffle stomp. Do you know what that is?
1: (laughs) No, but I love the alliteration waffle stomp. It just sounds so good to say.
0: Well, then you might not want to look up what I'm not going to say what it is. So you and the listener would have to go look it up if you, since you don't know what it is, Jason, and for anybody who's listening, who's never heard this phrase, I will just preface it by saying it's a very unsanitary thing that apparently a lot of people do in public showers. This woman, again, like I'm not going to say the name of the chain that she worked at of fitness studios, but it's a chain that i associate with women that i would imagine had a lot of etiquette and she said it was incredibly common for them to see the aftermath of a waffle stop <laughs> i just looked it up holy shit
1: i just looked it up and one <laughs> you know what spoiler alert i don't care one of the first articles that came up was recent study finds that one in 30 people poop in the shower.
0: That's one in 30. One. That's insane.
1: In 30. One in 30, Whitney. What in the absolute hell is going on?
0: I think the only time since we love telling stories like this, and so this is the TMI section for anybody who's still listening and gets grossed out, you could fast forward a moment, a few minutes But in case you're curious and you like stories like this, I'm going to share it. Um, Just like Jason shared his fart story, which comes full circle because that's how we began this episode. So maybe that means we're getting to the end of this one. I don't know. We never know when these episodes are going to end. (laughs) I was trying to think like, have I ever done that? Have I ever been tempted? I don't think so. And I was trying to also when I was hearing about the waffle stomp, I'm like, what would compel somebody after they take a fitness class or before, perhaps, to say, you know what, I'm going to shit in the shower. Like, why? I guess to me, the compassion would be maybe it's an emergency, right? Like, maybe you didn't think you were going to have to go to the bathroom. And then here you are in the shower and the toilet's really far away and you're wet and you're thinking, all right, maybe I can do this in a way that no one will notice, right? Like, I'm assuming that's. What a lot of people are thinking about unless it's some sort of guilty pleasure they have. I mean, like, I guess if I was cleaning up after myself and maybe there was something left over from using the bathroom. Although one time, the memory that came up for me is I was dating someone new years ago and we were sharing a hotel room and it was really small and I was just so embarrassed. I remember I turned on the shower. I was going to take a shower, but I went and used the toilet first while the shower was running. I remember I felt so bad because I was wasting so much water, but I used the shower as a way to cover up the sounds of me going to the bathroom because I didn't want him to hear and I was so embarrassed. So I didn't actually go to the bathroom in the shower, but I jumped in the shower immediately afterwards to take a shower. So how about you, Jace?
1: (laughs) I'm just reveling in this statistic. I'm reveling in it. As we do, it's our commitment as bizarre or unnerving or disruptive as the research is, we are going to link to this study, which is on ruinmyweek.com that links to a British study. Apparently, this is the metro.co.uk that, yeah, 30 people in this study admitted to having pooped in the shower, which is the waffle stomp. In case you listener had not made that connection of what waffle stomp is. I mean, maybe, I don't feel a sense of judgment right now, Whitney, but maybe this is a more normalized thing in human society than you and I thought. If one in 30 people have admitted to doing it in this study, maybe you and I are are outliers. I don't know. I mean, I will admit to doing one thing before I end this and let you jump back in. I have peed in sinks, and here's the reason I've peed in sinks. I have peed in sinks when I've been in uh, situations where the walk, I had to pee so bad that the walk to the restroom was longer than me going to a sink and urinating in a sink. I have urinated in a sink before, but that's as far as I've taken it.
0: That does bring back one other poop story that I'm way too embarrassed to admit on air. So Jason, I I could tell you offline if you'd like. I don't mean to be a tease, but it's like one of those boundaries. But I remember basically it's a similar story in which there was a sense of urgency and I couldn't make it to the bathroom in time. And I did something that I've never done again in my life. But that's like maybe a lot of people can relate to that. I think there's so much shame around using the bathroom that we're afraid or we th- might assume that we're the only ones that have done some of these things. But those statistics are are actually very eye-opening and recognizing People do things that we perceive as strange or odd, but maybe it's normal to them. And I think coming back to the hygiene side of it is you just can't assume that people are courteous or people are living life the way that you do. And I think that's the big thing with me when it comes to being precautious with COVID. I just don't want to make any assumptions. I think there's a lot of shame around our health in general, COVID or not. And I think a lot of people feel like they need to do certain things to keep up appearances, but we have no idea what people do when we're not around when we're not looking. And so we're watching out for ourselves and others by making our decisions. And that's part of the reason i'm I'm so cautious. That's why I have been using hand sanitizer. I used to be so not anti-hand sanitizer, but I was just like avoided it because I thought, like, this is actually gonna do me more harm than good. But now I use hand sanitizer very frequently, especially if I'm around other people. And same thing with washing my hands and wearing a mask and washing surfaces and all of that, keeping my distance. And it's really awkward sometimes. And sometimes I'm afraid that I'm offending somebody, but I have to take it. I mean, I believe that it's important to take it seriously. And I'm also trying not to judge other people for their decisions because we're each entitled to it. We just have to remember there's a ripple effect. And when you hear stories like this, even if it's not COVID related, it does show you that there's bacteria all over the place. you know. And even if you're not a germaphobe, you might want to be a little bit more mindful about what you do. And for example, just make sure you wear a pair of sandals or flip flops when you get into a public shower. I think that's the biggest lesson we can get from this.
1: Or shoes. Like if you feel comfortable wearing shoes, wear shoes into a public shower just for that added layer of protection. <laughs> no reaction from you, Whitney. This is like total deadpan. You're like, do you wear his shoes in
0: the shower? Sorry, I'm, I'm too busy looking our analytics and wondering <laughs> why so many of them are related to farts. Like we've created a monster. For example, on this one page, I have let go one fart version, liquid fart love is like a fart. There's three different hits that are completely unrelated, but all about farts.
1: I mean, now I feel like there's no putting the genie back in the bottle now. In our quest here on This Might Get Uncomfortable for through the first 130 episodes, maybe. It's so funny, the seemingly innocuous things that we've talked about, because we've talked about some really challenging subject matter here on the podcast, but I feel like we've done a pretty good job, Whitney, of balancing it with Humorous, wacky, bizarre. I feel like we cover an incredible amount of ground. So, if that brings some new listeners in, you know, who are interested in potty humor, I mean, all are welcome. What we're saying, all are welcome here on this might get uncomfortable.
0: I just often wonder how uncomfortable we make our editors feel. Like, we don't personally know the editors because we work with a team that assigns our show to different people, I assume. Perhaps the editors listening right now and can tell us the story. Are there are there several of you or is there just one of you? I don't know. I kind of assumed it's it's a few different people that edit our shows. And I just wonder what do they think? When they're listening to our episodes, Jason, how often do we make them uncomfortable? <laughs> and and it's, I also wonder, like, has there ever been a case where they're like trying to reassign our show to somebody else because they're so uncomfortable? They like dread listening to our show? Because we have three episodes a week. And what if like, every time a new request for editing comes through on their end, they're like, oh, God, do I have to edit the show? Can't you do it, Susie?
1: <laughs> Susie, it's my mom doing the podcast editing. Yeah, I, it's funny you bring that up because who knows? I mean, do we ever really know the full ripple effect of what we put out into the universe and how it affects people? We never really fully know. So perhaps this podcast has pissed people off, stoked their curiosity, made them scratch their heads. Maybe they think we're a couple of complete wackadoodle bizarros. We're just going to keep going till we don't want to do it anymore. So. Rest assured, we've got more on the way. We do. We're not planning on stopping anytime soon. But I mean, I think this podcast, Whitney, is an exercise in you and I branching out, first of all, creatively, but also doing what we feel in our hearts is to do and not really giving a shit about the response, not completely disassociating ourselves if people were to be angry or want to throw a coup and overthrow us. But I don't know. I feel like part of the thing I'm getting from this podcast experience is giving ourselves permission to talk about and explore and research and pontificate on whatever the hell we want. And I feel very liberated as a result of that.
0: I do too. And this episode is the perfect example. And it's funny too, you were talking about your mom and I'm continuing to scroll through all these queries. And there were several that were about mom farts. (laughs) Like, do you think somebody is like specifically looking for like Videos or like audio recordings of mothers farting. Like, you know what? That could be like an OnlyFans account. Like, this is what's interesting is there's something for everybody out there. I think OnlyFans is such a fascinating case study because there's a lot of people that go on there and help fulfill all of these fetishes. I also, there's a query that's just one word my fart. Like, (laughs) no space in between. As if it were like myfart dot com or at myfart as a username.
1: I'm not even sure what to say anymore. I feel like maybe we've taken this as far as it wants to be taken right now. Maybe we have.
0: <laughs> you don't want to hear any more fart queries. I think I'm
1: good. I think I I, think, <laughs> I honestly feel like I've I've.
0: <laughs> wow, that says a lot, Jason. I know, like, I know, I know. You're someone I feel like who really enjoys these. I don't but know. You've had enough. You've had. Enough. I've reached
1: my fart quota.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I I imagine that the listener has if they're if they're still listening. I wish in like real time we could know like when somebody's had enough.
1: Of our well, maybe we need to do a radio show. Maybe then, <laughs> honestly, Whitney. Maybe that like legit. Oh, who's banging on the door? Oh, they want food. The wolves are at the door. <laughs> The wolves are like, Father, we're forty minutes past our feeding time.
0: We're wasting away, Father. We're wasting away.
1: They're so dramatic.
0: And so wait, they're, are they scratching? Yes, they're his, scratching
1: like, and banging like, on the door. How do they
0: bang on the door?
1: I can feel their the Bella's hoofs, her hooves.
0: But does she like jump up yes. and like launch herself yes. into the door? You
1: yes. Think? Yes.
0: Or like ram her shoulder into the door like she's trying to break it down. No, she's
1: not trying to or do it like rhino. like FBI style. No, no. She's just putting her hooves on the door and banging on them because I hear you. I hear you. So it's, maybe that's a sign we need to wrap up because, yeah, the wolves are at the door and they want dinner.
0: But how do we wrap up this episode? Because it really went in a lot of different directions. Like, well... Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, if you guys want to delve into more of our bizarro, tangential, curious cacophony of subjects, and it is one of your first episodes, or maybe it is your first, you can dive in to all of our episodes. This is our 130th episode, and we're doing a lot. We're doing three episodes a week, so we definitely have tons of subject matter. Again, some of it, a deeper introspective peek into the inner workings of race and economy, mental health, spirituality, our physical health, our relationships. We cover a lot of ground. That is very serious subject matter. But then sometimes we'll talk about poop and farts and crazy stories. And we want to give you our version of the totality of the human experience as best we can. Of course, we're never going to be able to do that because of the depth and the breadth of the human experience. But we're trying to do our damnedest to deliver that to you here on this month. might get uncomfortable. So for more, yeah, you go to our website, which is WellEvator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You click on the podcast section, and it will take you to all of the episodes and all of the show notes for those attendant episodes. Whitney, you wanted to jump in. You have the floor.
0: I just wanted to say that perhaps these queries are giving us a look inside the lens of fart popularity. And if you, dear listener, are still listening, you probably have an interest in farts, and that's okay. We want to take the shame away from being interested in farts, whether it's for humor or a fetish or curiosity, or just wanting some people to talk about something openly without being embarrassed about it. And I myself have come quite a long way because in the past, I wouldn't have been caught dead talking about farts, (laughs) especially not with Jason. When we first started dating, God forbid we ever discussed this. I was so embarrassed about it. And we talked about this in a previous episode. So I'm just going to give myself a pat on the back for coming out of my shell a little bit and talking about something that used to make me blush.
1: Well, I commend you, Whitney, on branching out and being more comfortable with something you were previously very uncomfortable with. And as we close, I also want to point out the absurdity of the colloquial phrase, caught dead doing something. Because if you're already dead, you don't mind being caught. They're like, ha ha, caught. Oh, they're uh, never mind. Didn't catch you. So being caught dead actually (laughs) isn't a bad thing at all.
0: (laughs) No, but I thought, but isn't the phrase like, I wouldn't be caught dead. Like, as in like, that's so embarrassing. I couldn't even be caught doing it dead because it's so extreme.
1: Oh, like you were in the process of doing it and you passed away and you died while in the process of doing the thing. (laughs)
0: No, I mean, like, your point is that why would you care if you're dead? But that's what makes it so extreme is because it would be so embarrassing that you could potentially still care even if after you've passed away.
1: Oh, I guess we had two totally different interpretations of the same phrase.
0: (laughs) And again, this is how we started the episode. So full circle once again. And
1: that's how we do it. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with us, listener. Uh, We appreciate you. Thanks for the shares. If you want to review this episode, by all means, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. We have a bunch of glowing reviews. We have, I think, over 50 now and one shitty review. So please make it glowing and don't add to the shit.
0: Thanks. Unless you want to talk about shit in your review as a compliment, then that's the type of shitty review we would like to read. (laughs) Bada boom, bada bang.